0: Okay guys, we're in, uh, we're heading into Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're kind of getting, you know, there's only 13 chapters in Hebrews, so we're getting to 10. We'll spend a couple weeks in 10. Uh, then we'll head into uh, chapter 11. We're going to take all of chapter 11 in one week. Then of course, uh, you know, we'll be heading chapter 12, 13. Alright, let's, um, Let's look together. We're going to talk about a new priesthood. Again, he's this, remember now, the author is addressing the letter primarily to Jews, uh, believing Jews who were thinking about giving up on their faith and returning to the old Mosaic system. And so he's been doing a comparison, okay, he's been comparing the two and showing how the new covenant and Christ is a superior high priest and a superior system. And so that's what we're going to talk today about is the new priesthood. We're going to look at what the old priesthood was and its problems, which is we're going to see in the first four verses of chapter 10. And then we're going to talk about the new order, all right, the new order with Christ. So let's look first of all at verses 1 to 4, and uh, we'll talk about the old Levitical system. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come... And not the very image of the things that can, that can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every day. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Okay, so let's look here. First thing he's going to tell us is that the law was not the reality, but only foreshadowed what was to come. So when you talk about the Old Testament law, that's not the reality. It's a foreshadowing of what was to come. It was foreshadowing... The reality that Jesus Christ would come and fulfill all things. The law, keeping the law does not make you perfect. The law only reveals your imperfection. Does everybody understand that? How many of you keep the law perfectly? Nobody, well, I'm just talking about the civil law, I mean the law of Kerwinsville, I mean everybody around here drives 25 through town. I know that. Did you know what I'm saying? You get a permit every time you're ready to build something at your house, right? I know you do, Brad, okay? Did, yeah, especially those of you who have a councilman living next door, right? Okay? Yeah, do you know what I mean? I mean? I mean, we're laughing, we're, we're being silly a little bit, but the reality is, is we don't. What does the law reveal about us? Our imperfection, our sin. Did you understand? So it was a foreshadowing. This is an argument you're going to find throughout the New Testament that the law shows our need for Jesus Christ. All right? So, what happens here then is that the continual yearly sacrifices could not make those who approached perfect. Now, again, we're talking about Jews here because you as a Gentile, could you go make a sacrifice each year? No. Let me just stop for a moment. And to be honest with you, you didn't even care. The Jews were mocked by the Gentile nations for their whole system. Do you understand what I'm saying? So as a Gentile, our ancestors, even if they knew about it, wouldn't didn't care about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're not a part of this, but for the Jew who went and made the sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews is saying it couldn't perfect them. It didn't take care of them. It didn't make them right in their approach to God. Did, 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 isn't that crazy? Do you know what I'm saying? So when you hear somebody say out here all the time, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Have you heard that one? Really? Like that's going to get you anywhere because it's not. Because the reality is, it's not going to take care of your approach to God. It's not going to bring you perfection. So here, if the sacrifices could perfect, the writer is saying, there would be no need for more sacrifices. Now have you noticed they're continually sacrificing here? His whole point is is that if the sacrifices could take care of it, why do we need to keep sacrificing? Because the reality is, is that the sacrifices couldn't take care of it. Did you, do you understand what I'm saying? That's his whole point here. The system is flawed. The system doesn't take, does, does not make you perfect. Okay? The system does not make you perfect. So he goes on and talks about the failure. Purified worshipers, first of all, purified worshipers would have no guilt concerning the sin. See, if the sacrifices could take care of it, you wouldn't remember your sin. You wouldn't remember your sin. You wouldn't have a clean conscience about your sin. You would be constantly haunted by it. And that's his point here, is that their, their consciences are being haunted by it. Now, here's what the yearly sacrifices did. The yearly sacrifices served as a reminder... Of the worshiper's sin. So when you saw the sin sacrifices being made, all it did was is remind you that you were a what? A sinner. A sinner. Now let me just back up one point. Because some of you are saying, okay, well you know what? If Jesus is the better system, my conscience is still hurt by the things I've done. My conscience is still tainted. He hasn't removed... That guilt from me, George, I still struggle with that. You're saying it's a better system. If it was perfect, how come I still got a conscience issue going on? Well, let me just remind you of a couple things. Number one, with regards to you, you have to begin to grasp truth. And as you grasp the truth that Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, takes care of your sin, that begins to clean your mind. Do do you understand what I'm saying? The other thing you need to recognize is you have an enemy who will constantly... he's, He's known as the what? The accuser. And he will constantly remind you of what? Sin. Now, I'm going to remind you, when you go to be with Jesus, that's when the ultimate perfection takes place. Because when you go to be with Him... You're not going to remember your sin no more. You're not going to have a guilty conscience. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's going to be dealt with. So our faith is in what is to what come. Did you understand what I'm saying? Like I'm going to be honest with you. You know I'm getting older. You know I was just thinking, man, I'm 48 years old. I'm going to be 49 in a few years, a few months, a few years. <laughs> okay. Wow, I'm losing it. In a few months here I'm going to be 49. You know, my dad died 41 years old. 42 years old. Um my brother 38. Now, you say well, you know what's the big deal? I'm 48. I'm real I'm living longer than them, but I'm also realizing the shortness of life for people. When you get older and body parts don't work anymore, do you, you know what I'm saying? Or or you or you feel different, you realize you only got a short time. But but I when I look at it, I look at it and I and I long to be with Christ for two reasons. Number one, the battle will be over. What battle, George? The internal battle. And number two. I'll finally be at peace. And that's part of the clean conscience thing, is being at peace with yourself and your mistakes and the regrets and the shame. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what I have a trust in. Do you understand? That's where my faith is in it. My faith is in the glorification that will take place with Jesus. You know? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, what do the yearly sacrifices, let me get back, the yearly sacrifices serve to remind us of the worshippers' sin. So, He goes on and says that the sacrifice of goats and bulls could not take away the sins of a worshiper. They couldn't take away their sins. And remember, the atonement, when the atonement was made, it was only made for the sins of what? Ignorance. Willful sins were not even dealt with. Okay? Uh, let me just stop for a moment. What percentage of the sins that you make are of ignorance? What do you think that is? Pretty small, right? So a majority of your sins are what? Willful sins. Okay. I think that settles it, doesn't it? We're in trouble. You know, we're in trouble. That's that's why we need a new system, a new a new new possibility here. So look with me. We're going to look at verses five through ten. The new order. Therefore, when he came into the world he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of this book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying sacrifice is an offering, burnt offerings and offering for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which were offered according to the law then he said behold i have come to do your will o god he takes away the first that he may establish the second by that we will have we by that will we have been sanctified through the offerings of the body of jesus christ once for all okay so what he's going to do here he's going to quote psalm 40 parts of psalm 40 it looks like he's repeating it twice What he's doing here is he's quoting Psalm 40, and then in verses 8 and 9, he's referring to what he just quoted with an explanation. Okay? So let's talk about what he's doing here. First of all, verse 5, the writer states that when Christ came into the world, he made a proclamation. When Christ came into the world, he made a proclamation. So the writer quotes Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. So notice now, God's desire in verse 5. The writer quotes the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. So he's quoting, the writer here is using the Septuagint. All right? which is, if you remember, if you, just a little bit of a history lesson, the Jews in Alexandria, which were in Egypt, wrote, translated uh, their religious books, which would be what we call the Old Testament, into the Greek translation, because the world at that time was dominated by the Greeks. This is after Alexander the Great, during the time of the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Several hundred year period there. And so there was a Greek translation of the Hebrew text which is called the Septuagint. The author is using the Septuagint here to refer to these verses. Okay? So he's quoting the Septuagint. Now the Psalmist states that God did not desire sacrifice or the offering of animals. You know, oftentimes I'll hear an atheist say that God is a bloodthirsty God. I mean, for him to want to, des, to, to demand animal sacrifices, he must be a bloodthirsty God. Well, the problem is, is it says right here, that is what was required for sin, but that's not the way God wanted it. He does not desire in the destruction of anything living. He doesn't desire it. Okay. He goes on now and says that God, the psalmist states that God had prepared a body for Christ in the Incarnation. He had prepared a body for him. And we know that in the Incarnation because the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, came in the form of a child, was conceived in Mary, and was what? Born a human, fully God, but yet fully human. So notice now, verse 6, again, he's going to stress it here. God takes no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. He doesn't take pleasure in those things. So notice now, he's going to tell us the purpose of Christ. He says, the law spoke of the Christ. What he's saying here, the writer of Hebrews is saying is, is that the law, the Old Testament law, was pointing to who? People, who was it pointing to? Jesus, the Messiah, okay? And the, the, the reality is, is what he's saying here, is that Christ proclaims, That he has come to do God's will. Christ proclaims that he is the one who's coming to do God's will. Now, he's going to explain the proclamation I told you in verses 8 and 9. So let's look at this together. So, first of all, he explains the text that was proclaimed. This is what's happening in verses 8 and 9. The writer explains the text... That was proclaimed. So what does he do when he, when he mentions the first part in verse 8? Sacrifice and burn offerings, offerings for sins you do not desire nor take pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Here's what he's saying. First of all, he points out that the sacrifices that God does not desire are those offered according to the law. Even though he stipulated that they had to happen, he didn't desire that. That's not God's ultimate plan for us. This is not what he wanted for us, is that we would have to make sacrifices for our sin. That's not what the original plan was. So notice now, the second part in verse 9, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. He's, He's basically saying, What is the purpose of Jesus coming here? Alright, he explains that. And it it is God's will to abolish the first covenant to establish the second. It was God's will to abolish the first covenant. Now what's the first covenant? That's the Mosaic law, the Mosaic system, the Levitical system of the sacrifices, the temple. In order to what? Establish the second covenant. Which is the second covenant. It's the new covenant that you and I are a part of where Jesus has died once for all for our sins. There are no more sacrifices. Okay? So God's will is, is that He abolished the first to establish the what? The second. So then He goes on in verse 10 and says, why is He doing this? Look at this. It's our sanctification. It's according to God's will that believers are sanctified by the sacrifice of Christ. Because notice what he says. By that, what is that? The second covenant. Will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all? Now, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I want you to do this. I want you to underline that phrase, once for all. Now, anybody know why that's significant, that phrase? His sacrifice once and takes care of all things. Okay, that's good, Bruce. Anybody want to add to that? Because he's talking about our sanctification. He did it for, through Christ, once for all. Anything Anybody want to add to what Bruce is saying here? All believers, but yes. Okay. What were you saying, Rob? Yeah. When you think about you, sanctification, what that means, the word sanctify means to be made holy. You, once and for all, were made holy in the sight of Christ. Through what? Sacrifices? Through Jesus' death, and notice what it says, once for all. It's permanent. It took care of it. There's no questioning it. Now, okay, here's the reality. When you sin, you do have a guilty conscience. You do wonder, well, you know, I must not be a believer. If you're younger and immature, you think that way. You, you wrestle with the assurance of your salvation. You, you wrestle with whether or not I must be a believer because I'm still sinning. You know, but the reality is, is that when you sin, you, you feel guilt, the enemy, enemy immediately attacks you and says, well, you must not, must not be a Christian. Christian wouldn't do that. What is the wonderful truth of these three words? Once for all. How does that, how does that give you hope and how does that give you encouragement in spite of the realities of your life right now? Anybody? Or am I am I confusing you? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, yeah, you you're you've been made holy. You're not affecting that. That's exactly right. Okay, all right. Eternal security is what he's saying there. Now let me just stop for a moment. Eternal security says that I am secure in my relationship with Jesus because of what He's done for me, not because of myself. Okay. Anybody else? See, the reality is, those are three beautiful words. Because the sacrifice he made for us, how long ago was that? Almost 2,000 years ago. It is almost 2,000 years ago. When he died on the cross, you weren't even around. Kirwinsville wasn't even around. You know what I'm saying? The ground was here, but we, you know. The reality is, is his sacrifice took care of our sins Period. And if we trust in him, he's made us holy. He's sanctified us. Not just justified us, but sanctified us. Did you understand what I'm saying? So it's according to God's will that believers are sanctified by the sacrifice of Christ. Now, let's go on. He's going to talk about Jesus again as the better high priest. Look at verse 11 through 18. This is where we're going to wrap up. Every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified." But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For for after he had said for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. And he said, In their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Alright, here's what you do. I want you to put a star. Your Bible should have a black star by there anyhow. Some of you do. That's, that means it's the fulfillment of prophecy. But I want you to put some sort of mark there that you know that that's a truth for you. I will remember them no more. Now, where is the remission of these? There is no longer an offering for sin. Or, so what's he talking about here? First of all, a better priest... The Levitical priests continually offered sacrifices that could not take away sin. I'm just going to be honest with you. The temple grounds and all of their beauty and all of their perfection, it was a bloody place. I mean, we are talking about the non-stop offering of animals and burning them. Did you, do you understand what I'm saying? Archaeologists, you know, very clearly believe that there was like a ditch where the blood would flow out of the of the facility. It's up on a hill, and then the smell of burning flesh would be in the air continually. You, do you know what I'm saying? So they're offering this daily, but here's what the writer says: You couldn't take away sins. You know what, there's a word for that, isn't it? Feudal. It just is describing something very futile because of the nature of humanity. He goes on and he says this, the new priest. Christ offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. Look with me, verse 12. Look at what he says there. By this, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins Forever. You can underline that word forever there if you don't mind. It's forever. The reality of his sacrifice for your sins is forever. Now I want you to notice something there. I'm looking at my text here. I'm looking at the New King James. There are no asterisks near that word forever. Do you know what I'm saying? Where there's a footnote at the bottom that says, well, everything but this one sin in your life. You need to remember that. It's for you forever. Isn't that awesome? Okay, let's go on now. And he he assumed, here's what he's saying, he assumed a position of authority with God until his enemies are defeated. So he's sitting on the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made his footstool. Now what does that mean? Made his footstool. That means when he has domination and dominion over them. When will that take place? Anybody know when will that take place when he has conquered his enemies? Anybody have an idea? Well, not just a judgment, but when he what? When he returns, okay, and establishes his millennial kingdom. And his enemies are dealt with. Because when he returns, remember, as soon as he returns and he defeats the Antichrist, and it's not going to be much of a defeat It says immediately that the Antichrist and what the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. At no point after that is Jesus not in control. Even in the battle of Gog and Magog, when the world tries to rise up against him, the unbelieving world, Jesus is still in control. Fire comes down from heaven immediately and instantaneously devours them all. Jesus is always going to be in control from that point on in this world. So he's sitting at the right hand of the Father until the time when he will have dominion over his enemies. So he goes on and he says, By one offering, verse 14, He perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, hey, really put a star by that verse. Look at what he says. Look at what it says there. He perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Those are being set apart. What is he by one offering? He perfected believers forever. Okay. Does everybody understand here what the writer is saying? Is are you ready for this? You're perfect. Now I know some of you are having a hard time believing that. Okay. Some of you, your spouses, no. Well, that I know. I know better. Okay. No, no. You're perfect. You have been perfected in Christ. Yes, you still inhabit the body that you have it, but you're perfect. You have been set apart. You've been made holy. You are justified. He's talking about who you are as a person in Jesus Christ. You are perfect. And notice what he says that one word again, forever. Now how long's forever. Forever. Do you notice there's no asterisks there except when you do this? It's not hinged on. Notice the thing about these verses. Does anything here in what it's talking about have to do with what you've done? Is there any conditions there with any of these verses concerning what you have done? No, it's all about what who has, do, who has done. Jesus has done for you. Isn't that awesome? It's all about what Christ has done for you. Let's go on here. So the writer points out that the Holy Spirit testifies through the Old Testament to us. So the Holy Spirit then testifies through the Old Testament to us. Look with me at verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us For after he had said before, and again, he's quoting some Old Testament scriptures here. So the Holy Testament, the Holy Spirit is testifying of this truth to us. That's the point he's making here. And here's, here's what he's telling us. Believers will have the ability to what? Know God. All right. You, whether you realize it or not, As a believer in Jesus Christ, because you put your faith in him and you've been saved, you've been made perfect, set apart, the the writer is saying here, quoting the Old Testament scripture, that God has placed a knowledge of him and a desire for him within your heart. So you have the ability to know God. Did you, did you understand what I'm saying? You have the ability to understand his word. You have the ability to look at the world and see creation and know that he's the one who created it. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? You have the ability to know that when circumstances happen in your life, you know that it's God's hand directing you in your life and taking care of you, rather than somebody else just saying it's a coincidence. You have that ability because God is the one who places that within you. Do you know what I'm saying? In fact, look at what the scripture says there. I will make, verse 16, make for them in those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. He gives you understanding. You'll know when something is right and something is wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? You'll know. He goes on then. This is what's so wonderful. Here's what the witness of the Holy Spirit is telling us. That God will not remember a believer's sin again. Isn't that awesome? Is, is that not awesome? I mean, we sing that song here, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed your sin from you. Now, you remember it, but one day you're not going to remember it anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? One day when you, you go to be with him and, and you experience salvation in its fullest through glorification. Do you understand? Salvation is a threefold process. process. You're justified when you believe. You are sanctified. That is, you're being holy, made holy now until you go to be with him. And then when you go to be with him, you're glorified. That is, you receive a new body and in that day, you're not going to remember your sin no more. You're not going to remember it. it you know. I think. Notice what it says in, in Revelation. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll wipe them away. It's awesome. God does this. So notice now, verse eighteen. He's talking about no further sacrifices because Christ has forgiven sins. There is no need for further sacrifices. Okay, next week, we're going to continue on in chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 19. And we're going to talk again about the issue of apostasy. He's going to switch back now to the issue of apostasy. What's apostasy, George? Apostasy is turning your back on the faith and walking away. Period. And then he's going to give an encouragement about to persevere instead.